Quotes and Stage, a podcast where you listen to two people talk about one scene for 40 minutes. And then another scene for two hours. <laughs> I'm one of your hosts, Kat, and with me is... Nina! Hooray! Woo! Let's talk about it. This episode, uh, episode seven, is called Windmills. And the title is, once again, a reference to the infamous Don Quixote. Um, it's, I actually wasn't thinking about the episode title until I finished the episode. And I didn't realize this is the episode that we like go back to Holden's roots, so to speak. And I was like, and they never say anything about the episode title, but I like made the connection actually because of something he says in season three, I think, when he makes the reference of, of like tilting at windmills. So the point is that like, this is a Holden, it's not a whole, it, it doesn't feel like a Holden centric episode, but it is a Holden centric episode. And I think surprisingly also an Amos centric episode of, I, nope, I don't I know. completely agree. I was thinking, mm-hmm. um, it was, as for windmills, something to keep in mind is in the book, one of the major stories has um, our hero attacking windmills because he sees them as giants, even though, you know, someone our, tries to tell him, no, girl, our <laughs> that's hero not what it? you think it is. Um, our hero, Don Quixote. Oh, damn. And this episode was written by... Uh, the authors of the book series, Daniel Abraham and and Ty Frank, which is cool. And I was curious why this was the episode that they wrote on and not like the finale, for example, or the pilot. Um, it felt kind of random, but I, I guess this is an episode where like a lot of characters kind of just, I'm like looking at my notes and I have like six bullet points and that's it. Um, I think this is an episode, I guess, where like a lot of characters kind of just sit down and, and talk to each other. Um, so maybe they were the best to like get into everybody's heads, but I was just curious why that was. I mean, I guess, you know, like you said, for Amos and Holden, we get kind of deep dives into the way that they think and why they operate they do, the way they do, which, you know, if these are your original characters, maybe that's <laughs> the moment where you want to step in. Yeah. You're like, this is my time. <laughs> Um, they're also executive producers on the show, which is cool for me, adaptation perspective. I actually don't know a lot of book adapt or show adaptations of books where the authors themselves really get to play a big role in it. Um, and they're still executive producers, I think. So that's definitely rare. Um, and that is my metadata. Kat, would you like to recap the episode? I would love to. So... Miller is reckoning with the loss of his job, and he realizes that it was the center of his life and identity. He robs Julie's apartment, (laughs) um, cashes in his life savings, and takes a one-way trip to Eros. Avasarala visits the paradise of Montana, meets Holden's mom. (laughs) I almost got through that with a straight face, too. Mm -hmm. And discovers that he's a radical hippie who needs a cause. And then Aaron Wright puts out a hit on him. Meanwhile, Holden and Amos are debating morality while the crew narrowly escapes getting arrested by Martians while dealing with a spy on the ship. How was that? 
That was great. And it just reminded me how much doesn't happen in this episode. No, I'm being mean. It's a lot happens in this episode, but it's a not an action-packed episode. Uh, where where should we start? Tell me where you would like to go. Do we want to just go straight into the crew? Yeah, All let's right. do it. So, you know what? I will let you start on this one because I don't have much to say. <laughs> if y'all okay. can see the way Nina's eyes widen. I, uh, I, I, okay, I do have, I have, I have, I have things to, to say. I, uh, I, hold on. Uh, okay. So this isn't, I, when I was watching this, 10 more minutes for me to boot up, I really saw this as an episode about Amos. I didn't have a lot to say about Holden specifically, even though the episode is about him. I didn't have a lot to say about Naomi and I didn't have a lot to say about Alex. So if there's anything that like you wrote down about those characters, please fill in because pretty much everything I wrote was about Amos. Um, because this feels like an episode where we really subtly see the effects of that this world is starting to take on him. Um, like until now, Amos has sort of been along for the ride because he has to be. Um, and it was really in the last... I, th- I want to say it was the last episode, but I think it was episode five, actually, where um, it was revealed that Holden logged the distress call. Um, and we we talked about that scene like a lot for a long time, because on one hand, you have Amos's reaction to Holden, which is literally like, I don't know, like a, a cat with like ears pulled back, as in like immediately ready to like commit a murder. Exactly. And That's then- such a good description. <laughs> And I'm like, I don't remember if that's the right animal that does it. And then immediately after that, Naomi steps in and she's like, like, I was a part of this too, basically. Like, I lied to you too. And his expression is so jolted because he, he, after that, he like doesn't care about Holden. He's like, this is not about Holden anymore. This is about you and me. You are afraid of me. And I have to like process that. And you had asked, actually, you were like, do you think this is the moment that like really affects their relationship for the rest of the show. And I think I had said that like, as far as later events, I didn't think so, but I didn't remember what happened at the rest of this season. And lo and behold, this episode, I think answers your question um, in a lot of ways, but I think it is focused on Holden and not on Naomi. Is he maybe reacting to Holden as not his replacement necessarily, but Holden's almost like this intruder that's disturbed the um, equilibrium of his and Naomi's relationship. Oh yeah, I would. I actually had wish I'd like written more notes about like Amos's face journey <laughs> in this episode. It's real. I mean, the thing I love is that it's this is a very very subtle uh, plot that plays out in this episode because. like kudos to us Chatham like Amos is not going to tell you how he feels and that he's hurt or like he's not even necessarily going to lash out I think he's like he's a very controlled anger but I don't think he understands anger and so it's like it's more of just like he's more unpredictable than anything else and there's this moment at the very beginning where like uh, I think Holden and Naomi are, they're looking at something on the screen and they're like kind of joking with each other. Like they're a little lighthearted. I saw that but, too. 
Yeah, you can see in the corner, Amos is like watching both of them and he looks pissed and he's and his gaze kind of focuses on Holden. And I think it's what you're saying. He's he's trying to process the the feelings he's having, because, again, Amos, like and we know this because of foresight, Amos is not the kind of person that understands emotions in a, in, in a proper way. He doesn't know how to process emotions, basically. And so I feel like what ha- what's happening is that he can't be frustrated at Naomi because Naomi, to him, is this stat- the stasis in his life, this person who's not going to go away, this person who has like, been by his side forever. So he doesn't... Maybe it doesn't make sense for him to be angry at Naomi because they, those two feelings don't like work. And so his only outlet is to take it out on Holden, but he's not the kind of person again, who like is going to take out his anger because he doesn't understand anger. And so he's more just like directing his ire at Holden. And so that moment was like that, that personified to me. He kind of like shifts away from Naomi and he makes it about Holden. And then right after that, Naomi's like, okay, Amos go, I think go check it out. Mm -hmm. Oh, check on the spy in the basement. Yeah, yeah, he has to go find a spy. I literally forgot that there's a spy in this episode. Because it it is this episode. He's not super... Oh, right, because this is the mark. Because that guy is not particularly... His character, no shade to the actor, is not particularly engaging. And he's very much a plot device for me. Oh, yeah. I meant more like I forgot like what episode he's in because I felt like he was only in one episode. Oh, no, he's in this one Uh, and the next one. Yeah, because because then that's how things air. Yeah. Okay. So she tells him to go find the spy, and he like doesn't move, and like there's almost this like terrifying minute where you think like he's not gonna basically follow her order, and you're like, okay, if he's not gonna follow Naomi, which is like his default state, what is he gonna do? And then he moves, and then it it does kind and of so- set up a tone where you remember that Amos is kind of a loose cannon when he wants to be because the rest of the episode is him saying look i'm not gonna follow your order if i don't agree with it oh that's true yeah it's and i think that encompasses like what happens in this episode um and i think i think it answers your question of like how does this affect amos and naomi's relationship it affects them in that he's like it's almost um and this, I wouldn't say this is a spoiler, but this is a, like, this is referring to something that happened in season two, but I almost feel like this is like a, like a, a mini version of what happens to him in season two, where he like kind of starts to try to make his own choices. And this feels like a, like a temper tantrum version of that, where he's like, where in this very small moment, um, I think what you're referring to is when they're trying to open the like control panel. Uh, and get the Martian codes, and he at, he at one point is just like, I'm not I'm not doing this. I'm gonna go do my own thing, which is to go shoot them down, basically. Um, and so it, that feels like what he what we'll see in season two, where he tries to be his own leader, which is important and which is a good thing, but it's almost in a self destructive way in in the sense of like what self destructive is in reference right. to Amos. I do also wonder if part of his frustration with Holden and Naomi is 
he sees it as his job to protect Naomi and Holden is threatening that. When he logs the distress mm. call, that puts everyone in danger. But for Amos, that puts Naomi in danger. And even when he and Holden are having their argument about what to do when the Martians board them, the whole thing is, I mean, it's either us or them. So yeah. Holden also, for Amos, cannot be captain if he's not going to take the appropriate steps to protect them. Do you feel like, even though like Amos is all about protecting Naomi, do you feel like it's almost a projection of his own safety? Like, does that make sense? It does make sense. I just don't know if he's worried about his own safety. Yeah. Like, it makes sense. What you are saying makes sense. I'm just not sure enough about the interest he has in keeping himself safe. Like it's all about yeah. survival, it, but I think what I, I think what I mean to say is like in response, like because we I think we've like established at this point like Amos and Naomi as the unit that they are is actually I'm like realizing not that healthy, right? Um, as much as I was like rooting for it for the first six episodes, like it's, you really it's, have it's to not, have this realization like on air. I'm like too. I'm like coming to. I'm having like a come to Jesus moment, like as I'm speaking. And she doesn't but even believe. It's, it's, it's like, it's unhealthy because Amos shouldn't rely on someone else to be his moral compass. Mm-hmm. It's great that she was, and it's great that she believed in him, but he shouldn't have to. And then from Naomi's perspective, like, you know, that's a whole other person who you're like being, you know, Holden is like talking about putting him on a leash. You know, that's a responsibility that should not be given to that person. And can I just say the way they talk about Amos in this episode, I'm very, very, very glad that he was not casted as a black actor. Oh yeah. Like this is one of the only whole different tone. Yeah. I like, and and that sounds, I, I feel like on a service level, that sounds fucked up. It's more like, what you're saying mm-hmm. like if Amos was played by a black actor and you have things about like putting him on a leash and calling him I think the spy calls him kind of like a, a an animal mm-hmm. all these basically a lot of people talk about him as someone who can't be controlled and is capable of like you know like you said being a loose cannon and when you put a and- black actor in that position it's I mean it's dehumanizing language anyway but it's also language that reflects how black people are dealt with on a daily basis yeah it's there's a huge weight that comes with it so i guess just like sidebar unintentionally i'm I'm very glad that we like unintentionally i'm very glad that we like don't have we don't have to deal with that Mm -hmm. um but what i was getting at is yeah naomi kind of like it's not fair for naomi to have to have that responsibility and it's not good for Amos to rely on somebody that intrinsically. Mm-hmm. So all that to say is that maybe Amos and Naomi are not meant to be. I can't but... believe that you came to this conclusion before we even ended the first season. I'm really heartbroken. You know what is interesting? So this is the episode, I don't know if you had this in your quotes, mm-hmm. but this is the episode where Amos talks about the churn. Um, yes, it is. And he- you know, he's like, uh, I like don't know how to sum it up. But the churn monologue is 
Amos talking about being not the good guy, not the hero, not the villain, but just like the person that gets caught up in the big war, basically. Um, And Amos's belief is that if you are that person, you don't matter. But I'm like, as I was watching it, I was thinking about it with the context of like Amos feeling betrayed by Naomi. And I actually like, I read it as not only him talking about like your lot in life, but also talking about himself, like kind of implying that he doesn't feel like he matters in all of this. Oh yeah. That's a really good. Just because, like, the way that Amos talks about himself versus the way he talks about Holden and Naomi, and I think this, again, is a little bit more in season two, he separates himself from them. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't see them as, like, the same kind of person. Because, of course, Amos also sees himself as kind of an animal. He's, like, he's afraid of himself, I think, Mm -hmm. at certain points. So then I was listening to his monologue, and I was, like... I wonder if, yeah, on one hand, this is him just like kind of giving us an insight into how he thinks, but I wonder if it's also him kind of accepting that this is how he's always going to be in comparison to somebody like Naomi and Holden, Mm -hmm. who get to make those bigger decisions and get to lie to him. You know, I really hadn't thought of it in the context of like Naomi being of him and he's the one who is you know cannon fodder yeah but that is a really interesting take and i think that it's pretty accurate um how i looked at the cheering speech is i kind of related it back to naomi talking about guys with causes Mm. and it made me wonder like you know they're kind of saying the same thing and sharing the same outlook but from almost a different perspective it feels like because she doesn't like guys with causes because they're not worried about who gets hurt in the process but she kind of talks about it from a distance like she's chosen not to be part of all of that where Amos has really accepted like you said that he is that guy like there's no way that he can step away from he is that guy. Hmm. Interesting choice. Um, yeah. I agree with you. It is a good point. And I um, think that's all I have to say about this. No, that's fine. Like, it, it's a really good way of explaining his, you know, nihilism. Oh, wait, I did have one more thing to say. Sorry, mm-hmm. did you have anything else to say about it? Um, not the churn speech. I do have just one or two other points about Amos and Holden. And you should say Go them. for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I do like that they do have this conflict because last episode we saw everybody kind of come together as a crew, although Amos was the last one to come back. But it's really, you have to work to be able to be a team. And I like that this, even though at last episode ended with them on the same side, we're immediately shown that it's not that easy. They're still really different people who have been forced into this situation with each other. And Amos is the one who's making it most clear that they've been forced into this situation, which is why he takes it upon himself to, you know, undermine Holden in different ways. Yeah. It's like gonna... when he tells the spy, oh, he's not our captain. Yeah. I caught that. 
Um, it's going to be a long road from being thrown together to actively like choosing each other. Um, and now that you bring it up, I'm actually feel like I'm going to pay attention to like when they hit that moment where they start choosing each other because they value each other versus they have to choose each other. Right. Um, I had some thoughts about that scene as well when they're like preparing for the Martians. I don't know if you had any thoughts about it. You wanted to go first. Um, I did want to know, you know, Amos chooses not to have that particular confrontation in front of the spy. Mm. Where Holden doesn't throughout the episode doesn't really care about showing this person that they're not, a, you know, a united front. And for me, I think that that's Amos's natural suspicion coming in, where even though they're having this conflict, they're still on a side, and this guy is not part of the team. So we can't say certain things in front of him. And it just felt like Amos was more conscious of that than Holden was. That's interesting that he is, because you would think Holden would have like the more strategic opinion about it. I think Colden might just be like naturally more trusting. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I think Colden <laughs> might be stupid. <laughs> I think people repeat it throughout the show. People call him, you know, too trusting or naive. And I think that that's something we're seeing jumping out here. But yeah, yeah he's not, <laughs> he's not moving smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was one, I'm just going to say it now, even though it's technically a quote, because mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like this is going to be a short episode for us. Um, so in that scene where, uh, not Miller, Holden, there are so, by the way, this episode and next episode, there are so many men on this show. It really comes through in the next episode. I'm like, this is a lot. Like, let's pay, let's scale it down a bit. Um, but, um, in this scene where Holden is, like, about to, like, cock his gun at Amos, there's this really interesting thing that Amos says, um, because, what does he say? So Holden's, like, yelling at him because he's, like, we can't just shoot at the Martians, um, a lot of good ones died for us, blah, 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 and Amos is, like, I'm not about to be, like, locked away in, like, a Martian prison for the rest of my life. He says, actually, gulag, which I thought was an interesting choice of words. Like, yeah. you don't hear people say that every day. Yeah. What, what, what kind of specific prison does that refer to again? Um, East European, I think Russian. Oh. All right, Amos. What have you been through? Um, but, yeah. He, so, Amos is like, I do not want to be stuck there for the rest of my life. Um, and I think there's this, this moment where they, like, it's a conflict of values because this great quote. Uh, Amos says, a guy with big ideas wants to take on the bad guys as long as it doesn't cost him anything. And it's in reference to Holden basically being like, I'm not willing to kill these people to, to save my people. Um, and I'm, I'm like saying this in the language of like the 100 because I am like current, it's, it's September right now. So I'm in like full the 100 mode as it ends its season. So I'm thinking and we really lot- can't resist just talking about the other shows that we like. Well, I think I, I actually like doing it because I, I like, especially when it comes to genre television and this kind of section, which is like humanity-centered television, um, I, would al- I would almost call it hope punk at this point. But these shows that are about like 
She already has that copyrighted, so <laughs> don't jump y'all. Yeah, y'all. it was actually it was actually in a in a. Um, I think I first read the words in like one of those magazines that they give out at Comic Con, and the uh, the Expanse was actually in it um, for a, a season two moment that we won't talk about. But okay, the point we is, don't have a copyrighted. Please don't sue us. <laughs> but there's this. Um, I really like when shows kind of take on the like question of like what is it what are you willing to do to kind of like preserve your species or to like protect your people um and is it always a good thing what you're willing to do is there such thing as as good or bad like all of these kind of questions and so just the way that this scene was framed really reminded me of that because I feel like Amos is talking on multiple levels here. Like, first of all, he's talking about Holden as like, like, like a figurehead or, or a guy with a cause, which is like you're saying a direct callback. First of all, it's connected to his speech about the churn um, because clearly he resents those people who get him caught up in the churn. And like you were saying, it's also connected to Naomi's speech about guys with causes. And so Amos is almost like parroting Naomi's feelings but his own feelings as well about Holden and who Holden represents and also what you're pointing out that Holden puts Naomi in danger and therefore Holden is a danger so on one hand there's that where where Amos is like you know you're the kind of guy that gets people like us killed but then he also he he ends it by saying as long as it doesn't cost him anything and this kind of pokes at the I feel like the overall theme of of Holden's arc which is that Holden is a very is portrayed as a very naive person who doesn't understand the world as it is. Causes him to believe in in very like strict ideas of good and bad. Um, where it's kind of like if you hurt someone, you're bad. If you protect someone, you're good. Where it's like there are many reasons somebody might hurt somebody. There are many reasons somebody might protect somebody. So I like that Amos is kind of poking at this thing where he's saying like you want to be the good guy but you're not willing to make sacrifices when you need to, which I think also- Whether that sacrifice be like your own innocence or sense of decency. Yeah. And I like, while I'm in this, the middle of this diatribe, it also goes back to our, our, um, our conversation about, uh, what is it called? I'm actually going to go to the note right now. So I have the right words, but back when we, when, when Avasarala and DeGraff were talking to each other and utilitarianism versus, uh, deontology. So the ends justify the means versus the choices themselves have to be morally correct. And I think Amos is kind of saying, you're not, you're, you're the second thing. Like you're only willing to make a choice if it's a good choice. And Amos at this point doesn't think like that. Amos is almost like an ends justify the means kind of person. But I think he also justifies the means regardless of the ends. I think he's kind of accepted that like, this is the way the world works. Um, and there, there's no use in evaluating the morality of my decisions. I think you're absolutely right. Thanks. Now, do we have anything else to... <laughs> okay. So moving swiftly on, I guess. But no, for real, for real, do we have anything left to say about Amos and Holden in this part I of the I really plot? do not. I literally have, like, I'm done with this section of people. Um, do we want to move to Earth? Uh, yeah, let's do it. So... 
I struggle a little bit to reconcile the Holden that we have in front of us with Holden's family in backstory. Mm-hmm. Because his family, they're characterized as these like radical hippie farmers who are potentially in a cult, but not really. <laughs> oh, never really see that in him. And it's not that they're completely at odds because he clearly does value life. And I think that we can see his genuine disdain or distrust in authority. I think that we see that enough where it tracks. It's not very radical. He's he's um he's pretty liberal, I guess I would say. Um I got the sense that by radical, like I I feel like in this world radical means something different depending on the planet you're on. So like when they talk about hippies on earth, I'm thinking about like not people fighting for the belt, but people that are fighting for um self-preservation. Like you know their whole fight was to to obtain this land and actually when we see it you kind of see it set apart from like some city in montana and i'm like they have hella land (laughs) yeah they they have like y'all could have had a full-blown commune if you ask me they have a little bit too much land but that's just me no i Um, agree but in a world where that's clearly overpopulated and my guess is that land is very difficult to both get a hold of and keep and using the context from this world where land is land and property is where you get and keep your wealth from um you guys look like wealth and resource hoarders to me Ooh. where you could have had a full-blown hippie commune and we'd really be cooking with gas but anyway yeah and I mean, like, to be fair, I don't think the narrative, like, tries to place them as, like, I mean, like, the narrative in general never really tries to place anybody as, like, an absolute good. Right. And so I, I, I bet that, like, this is an opinion that others in-universe share, mm-hmm. where, like, yes, on one hand, like, on one hand, I, I think their, their rebellion in this case is against the, is basically finding a loophole in the law. But on the other, how radical are they if they're not working toward a radical vision that goes against how Earth functions? Which, like you're saying, is is more of a community based style of living. Um, yeah, I I just I yeah I saw it and I was like, that's for eight people, and the house only takes up like what a sixteen couple yards. Yeah, like what are you doing with the rest of it? Like, are they do they have a farm? Like, I don't actually understand. What- that was what I was trying to understand. Like, they call it the farm, but do y'all farm? Yeah, it was especially since it was in. The, I mean, it's a choice to show them in the snow. So I'm kind of like, what are we? What is the importance of having this much land? And I would also love the opportunity to refer to Holden as, you know, a farmer boy, a country boy. But I don't know if I can, really. They won't give it to you. (laughs) Um, I do... We've talked a little bit about his parents, and I just really would like to reiterate that if it's four other women in the family, 
guess who's not gonna be the one giving birth to some big-headed boy because i'm sorry somebody else is gonna have to follow that <laughs> yeah I, I i'm just i think like the backstory is so off like just out of my experience that i just i need to know more like i need to know how this happened what are the implications like what are they doing what's happening I don't know. What is their ideology behind Yeah. This? What exactly are they hoping to accomplish? And I mean, I guess like we have like barely dug into the content, but like while we're in there, why did Mother Elise eventually like basically kick Holden out? Um, because she kind of frames it as like, we put all this pressure on this young boy, which totally makes sense. Like she was saying, we gave. I love. Oh, this is another quote I have. She said we gave him a fight that he could never win, which I feel like is a is a basically a rewording of having Holden tilt at windmills. Um, and I get that, but I just, I guess I'm just I really struggle with like what is the purpose of this much land. Um, That's really what I keep getting stuck. Like there's, it's not that there isn't stuff that I found interesting about this plot because I did it's almost like I don't have enough answers and I don't know what my questions are honestly I think this lends back to us in having questions in general about what life is like on earth yeah especially since we feel like we know enough to say that their life is most definitely not the most common experience I was actually gonna say um while we were in Montana, it was really easy to, like, just forget about space. Um, and I get the sense that that's how most Earthers feel. Like, I feel like they don't really care about Mars. They don't care about the belt. They're just living on Earth as we currently are right now. And I wonder how, like, I wonder if that's how the story kind of gets away with really not addressing how there are, like, billions of people on Earth and somehow like New York is ruling all of them. I, I mean, like I'm, I'm like really paraphrasing, but you know, like it's, yeah. the earth is huge. We have like y'all, you know, we have enough shorthand at this point where we can just, yeah, y'all know what we mean. But earth is huge. Like how is there only one government ruling over earth right now? There are like, I'm not even going to bother to count. I, I'm going to give an answer. But like, you know, there's a lot. There's there's right. so, I mean, maybe this goes into the, like with every world building that is involved in science fiction, there's always like just kind of shit you kind of need to believe in. And that's fine. And so I know if I go down this path, I'm going to be like, how could we possibly in a hundred years, like unite the entire world? Maybe the world is not united. Maybe there are like quote unquote local governments. Um, and maybe the UN isn't the is doesn't control Earth, but maybe it's more about like it's a foreign policy governing body because it is essentially dealing with all matters of space. Because again, like if you're living on, in Montana, you don't care about the belt, but you are getting your resources from them. So maybe the UN is just responsible. Maybe the UN is just like maybe the government is is more. Um, split up than it is now if it makes sense I mean my guess about like how we got to this point would be we have depleted the entire earth's resources 
and now we have to get to space. But if we're really going to really successfully colonize space, we need access to more money and resources than any, you know, one country or few countries have. So it kind of became a thing where, you know, we either all come together or, you know, it's kaput. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's just one extra layer of governance. I feel like my head's going to hurt if I start thinking about it too much. Because I started thinking about season four where they talked about like grain shipments. And I'm like, how can you control agriculture if like, what? But moving on. We've gone down the rabbit hole. Moving swiftly on. Um, I thought the part where she said, Mother Elise said, he grew up thinking that he was alive because the land needed him. So, I mean, it contextualizes how Holden thinks of himself in relation to the world in that, like, you have to have a reason or a purpose for being on, not, I was going to say on this earth, but, oh, you know. <laughs> in this world. For existing. And so, heroism for him is not like his destiny, but just something that he has to do. Yeah. The way you say it reminds me, um, I won't say the character name. I'm like, I'm still trying to gauge how much we can spoil versus how much we keep secret, but a character that is introduced in the next season and in season four deals a lot with struggling to find a purpose. And the way you framed it just now makes me think of that character because a lot of what that character goes through is what what do you do now that you don't have the original purpose you were groomed for? You end up looking for another cause. Exactly. And Holden kind of feels like that. Like, I know they frame Holden as like, oh, you just always find yourself in the middle of all this. But I think it's fair to say Holden is the kind of person who, like, will become, if not already, like, looking Someone for Someone who seeks it out. Yes. And I think that we could even almost say in season one, it's still something he's kind of seeking out because like the can't is his failure to do what he was supposed to do to keep people alive. And that's part of the reason why he's so dead set on avenging them. But I think finding out that he was a teenager who is, was regularly facing down government agents (laughs) Um, explains a his relationship with authority, but why he washed out of the military because you went from seeing the government as your enemy to working for them. Yeah. So that was like that was always going to be a conflict, and it explains I didn't want to be the boot because he's seen what the boots look like from both sides, not to the extent that Belters have, yeah. but yeah. I and then it makes me return back to what we saw in the pilot and I'm like I still can't fit that version of Holden in in between teenage Holden and Holden now I just I'm like that doesn't so so I think it adds to my theory that I think they weren't sure yet what how to characterize him yeah but speaking of the pilot um Naomi had asked Holden how he ended up on the can and he kind of tossed off some response like my biggest failure in life mm-hmm. is what led him there so my question would be is his biggest failure washing 
washing out of the military or is it just like failing to do his duty for his family? Because mm. my guess it would probably be his family. And yeah, I would also say his family. Yeah, this also, I guess, kind of explains why he seems apathetic towards Earth. Yeah. Because he really wasn't concerned with Earth or people on Earth or culture. He was concerned with his family and his land. And again, like, as an Earther, you can easily see how from a different perspective someone would see Holden's reaction and be like, well, you just, like, you have to just suck it up. Like, we don't even get that. So... Again, like we we this is a I guess this is a really earther heavy episode for everybody. Yeah. Um that's pretty much like that's the bulk of what I have to say about that. Um Same. do you have anything okay. Then uh, on well, to series. Well, did we did we say uh did you talk I th- did you bring up how the mom was like I never broke it to him that it was a tragedy? Or did we? No, I did not touch on that. Oh, so I guess, well, there is a direct reference. So maybe we should address this. There is a direct reference to Don Quixote in the show, uh, in this episode, which basically links everything we've been talking about um, inter- intratextually. Uh, where the mom is basically like, Holden grew up wanting to be this guy in the book Don Quixote. Um, and she says, I never broke it to him that it was a tragedy, which kind of sums up Holden's experience. Holden is fighting this fight that he's never going to win. He has these dreams of chivalry, but he never turned the page, so to speak. He never understood what the story was truly about, and therefore he doesn't understand what the world is really like. No. Oh. Deep. No, I really like that. Then, you know. On to series, not that we didn't love it in Montana. <laughs> okay, moving on to series. Do you like I do you like how we're only we're still under an hour and we're on our we're like on the third part of this? That's that's a sign. And it's probably not gonna happen again after season one, so enjoy it while you can. <laughs> yeah. I was think, I was thinking, um, as I was watching this particular episode, episode seven, it feels the most like a chapter in a book. It does. And and that's why it's like which is funny because it doesn't like most of what happens here doesn't you know happen in leviathan lakes oh that's a good point and i think that's like you know i i keep going back and forth being like we need to defend season one like we really need to like tell people like it's all about setting the foundation but there are definitely like as i'm watching it and looking at it with a close eye there are definitely episodes where i'm like this is just a chapter like this is watching it like a chapter and it's tough it's really tough to get through but i guess you know they wanted to do it that way so it is what it is i definitely had like another thought i had to say with that i just i've lost it now you know girl if it comes back to you sometimes we be a little all over the place so (laughs) (laughs) um but on to series. Oh, what? sorry. Wait, I got it out. <laughs> See, I knew you were going to remember <laughs> right no, when I moved no. on. It's like when you, like, go through a door, and the minute you go through the door, you forget what you were coming in for. But the minute you come back, you remember it. So what I was going to say is I think a good, like, because something I think I said in the, earlier as we recorded these episodes is I want to look at this from a writer's perspective. And, like, if I feel that it's so slow, what would I have done to change it? Uh, we talked a little bit about combining episodes and plots, but I think one thing that would have been more useful is like 
you know, every time we're with the team, with Team Rossi, like, it's always basically the four of them. This was really one of the only episodes where, like, it's Holden and Amos. Um, and as a result, Alex and Naomi kind of really didn't get much to do. Um, and I think one way that could have passed the time better is if we focus on those smaller subsets. Which, uh, Like, in, in episode two, right, when they're trying to, uh, I think, start the, like, open, you know, fix the comms or whatever on the, the night, you get these moments between Amos and Holden then you also get it a little bit between like Naomi and Alex. And then you also get it between Alex and Shed and you get these little bits. And I, th I think that's what this episode could have benefited from. It's like, if we're going to spend all this time with them and we've been spending, we've been spending quite a lot of time with them just moving to, to place to place. Then if you're stuck in like a tiny box with someone, you know, something's going to happen. You've got to like, I, I almost feel like they're fighting between keeping the mystery of characters versus developing the characters because we know like we know now who Naomi is and who she's going to be but because of that because so much of her is kept under wraps this season we don't get to like sit with her that often um and I I I think you could actually make the same case obviously like we don't talk about him on principle but you could make the same case for Alex you could actually make a stronger case for Alex who really doesn't get a lot of material um, and who is arguably a character that you that like has revealed an, a little bit of secrets by now that you could still make him do stuff. And I say this, and I just remember that like literally in the last episode, uh, Holden. We find out. Oh, I thought you were oh, going to no, say I'm we gonna... find out Alex is a deadbeat dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is one of the things I was talking about. Where it's like he reveals that secret already, and that's mm -hmm. kind of his biggest secret. But what I was saying is like as I'm speaking, I'm like, wait, in the previous episode we did get Holden and Naomi and Alex and Amos, but they were on Tycho Station and that was a, a plot that moved forward. And it was like, a new environment. Yeah, and so that didn't actually feel slow, but like this felt slow. The um, CQ, not CQB, what, what are we on, six? So five is back to the butcher, four is CQB. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. Then, maybe I don't, like maybe I'm like proving my point wrong, but I just... There, I'm. I'm gonna say I. I think there could be more sub subunit to borrow a term from the Korean pop industry. I think there could be more like subunit scenes because I think one of the things that this show can really improve on is like focusing on character and like attaching you to the character before the plot. Because yeah. interestingly, I think I feel like this show really succeeds at attaching you to the plot, which most shows do not. Most shows you watch in spite of the plot and for the characters. This is one of the shows where like you kind of are watching it for the plot and you're happy to see the characters like in it. Like this show is very much about things and they use the characters to illustrate those things. Yeah. And I mean, I think most of the time it works, but as for getting you invested in the characters, it's mileage may vary for the first season. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I guess, I really, you know, an episode like this where it's really about Amos silently kind of processing how he feels. I want something like that for Naomi. I want something like that for Alex. Like. I want these characters, even if they don't tell us everything, even if their backstory is still pretty mysterious, 
I want those episodes where we kind of get into their heads because I think Naomi right now, like, I don't think we've really had an episode for her like that. We kind of just get glimpses of her. Um, I would say Alex. I feel like a lot of what we feel about Naomi is based on guesses and implications at this point or references to things in her past. Yeah. And whereas with Amos and Holden, like you said, we don't get to see Holden sit down and just lay out his entire philosophy for us. But we get that backstory and we get people talking about him extensively where we can create, we can create a Holden in our minds that is a combination of both what we see and what other people think about him. And Amos sits down and explains everything about himself to us and, or to the extent that we can understand certain things about him where Naomi tends to imply things and reference things a lot. And it's really like, and it's, I guess it's not to say that Naomi doesn't get those moments where we don't understand her philosophy. It's more like they get revealed. There's Mm -hmm. no episode about Naomi. Like, okay. The, the Fred Johnson episode where she's like, we're not going to Fred Johnson. She only gets, I think like two dialogues about that. One is with when they're debating like about Mm -hmm. the message. And then the other is when they are, um, she's talking to Alex, uh, Alex, Amos. And she's, you know, guys with causes, et cetera, et cetera. But that's it. And it it would almost, I don't know. It it would be more interesting to just take, I don't know. I don't know. It's because I'm asking what they are not, trying to give i'm like mm-hmm. trying to approach from a different angle and again to be fair the episode the sh- the book itself is not centric on mm-hmm. the team it's centered on holden so that obviously plays into how much we see of, of these other characters right but you know i do think it's something that they get better at later on and one of our we are coming at this from the perspective of already understanding this world. Mm-hmm. Where mm, if you're watching for the first time, it's really about like getting you to the point where you understand what's going on and why. That's true. That's a good point. Um, that's all I got about the team. Now we can let's go to series. I'm like watching the time and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to hit an hour and a half, even though we were totally joking. It's not. Please, please go. Um, Gauze and Miller's, do we want to call it a reunion? Um, You know, I thought it was interesting. I really enjoyed the scene. I do think it was important for Dawes to remind Miller that, you know, you're just like any other belter now. And that is kind of central to Miller's almost identity crisis because he's never been off series. His job is basically his whole life and it's what gives him the closest access to power that he's ever going to get. And now it's also been cut off from him. So at this point, what do you have left? And all he really has is Julie. So now he can fully commit himself to that but what happens if julie is also removed from the equation which is where we have anderson dawes asking him you know 
we'll see what happens when you hit rock bottom. Yeah. And is because you've lost everything. What episode what what episode was called Rock Bottom? Wasn't there one? Last episode. Oh. Ha And do we remember why it was called Rock Bottom? Was it about Miller? Um, I we did talk about it and we kind of came to the conclusion that Rock Bottom was most likely about Miller. Mm. Um, and Anderson's um discussion here is a direct callback to it where for us he's hit rock bottom because he has nothing left um but Dawes here through their conversation is implying well maybe you haven't really hit it yet so when are we gonna see him hit rock bottom solid analysis Mm um I really don't have much to say but I will touch on a couple points um i'll just jump around a little bit but um i this is the episode where like people are starting to get the same clues if that makes sense like one big thing throughout the show so far is that earth series station rosinante they've all been coming at the same mystery from different angles and so they've all sort of been getting different clues you know the fact that all the Phoebe station stuff we discovered with the team Rosinante, but all the stuff about Mars not being involved and being framed, we really confirmed with Avasarala. Um, and Julie in general, you know, was all Miller. And the, I almost spoiled it, but the bioweapon that they, he talks about was really came from Miller. And it wasn't until, it won't be until the next episode um is it the next episode when do they get on the scopuli not this episode next episode it is next episode okay i'm like when does anything happen in the next episode they sort of confirm miller's point about a bioweapon so one Mm -hmm. thing i like noticed in this episode was um the anubis and them talking about the anubis 1a going to eros and i was like finally like Miller has a reason to go to Eros because the team is already going to Eros and like everything's coming together. So I was very excited about that. Um, The other thing that I noticed was when Miller decides to go to Eros, he leaves his hat behind. Um, And every thought I have about his hat is very much related to future things. So I don't know if there's anything that you had thoughts about regarding his hat now. Um, I do think that his hat was a representation of the life he wanted or thought he could have access to. And so leaving that behind is almost his acceptance that, yeah, you know, I really am who I am, which is just another belter. And even though this is maybe not enough to do what Dawes thought it would do, Um, which has come running back to the bell. He's kind of in no man's land right now. Yeah, that's a good point. It was interesting because in the beginning, he's got this, when he's on the subway, I don't know if it's called a subway, but that's what it looks like to me. Um, When he's on the subway, he's like trying to record that message to Julie's dad, the like CEO of giant corporation i'm like how is he gonna get your message but um he's trying to talk to him and he says there's one line that stuck out to me he was like some people he was basically saying like you know julie was a good person and i'm sorry that like 
I couldn't find her, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, like, some people aren't worth saving. And I was like, damn, Miller, you've got such a low opinion of yourself. That felt like the most book Miller scene to me. Mm -hmm. I did see that line and I did see it as him talking about himself I do also feel like that is his general philosophy for people but especially belters because he not only has a low opinion of himself but part of that self-hatred comes from the fact that he's a belter and I think it extends to the belt as a whole there's some people that aren't worth saving which maybe comes back to his disdain for the OPA and them talking about saving the belt, but that might be mm. a reach. Oh, so you think like he he disagrees with the way the OPA kind of like universally is for everybody? Yeah. Mm. Spicy. So, you know, he's very, he's so, so cynical. And I do think that this is definitely a book Miller trait where he kind of repeatedly refers to series and like the belt as a whole as, you know, a cesspool. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Damn, Miller. What a sad I mean, it's, I would not want to be him. Um, More notes uh, that I had. One was that when Dawes was talking to Miller, I noticed his, the stuff on his neck um, usually those are tattoos, like, like OPA tattoos, mm-hmm. but I think those are the actual scars. Like they look. Like- yeah, those are. Last episode, he talks about how the old equipment that they used when he was younger, um, the they were poorly made, and so they would get burns from the suit or whatever right in that spot. Yeah. So he's old enough where he has those burns, and then the younger generation gets the tattoos to commemorate to commemorate like how belters of I mean that's just fascinating to me the fact that he is like of that age where he mm-hmm. and again way later down the line but that his generation is there to like give light to some of the things that they went through versus like um not a spoiler but a bit of a foreshadowing versus somebody like Diogo who is is going to be more preoccupied with the way they perceive uh, mm-hmm. certain belter lifestyles. But yeah, I, I was like, oh, that is not a tattoo. That is an actual scar. This man is a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think it's also a good way of illustrating like how recently they've been fighting for very basic things, such as suits that don't leave these huge burns on your skin. Yeah. You know, it was only in the past, let's say, I don't know, 20, 30 years. I don't know how old Dawes is. No shade to Jared Harris. <laughs> but at least in the past, you know, let's say 20 years that they've had these gains and yet they're still really living hand to mouth. Yeah. Ooh, I can't wait till this explodes. Um, last note I had was about the bird which I actually, like, I'm going to talk about in a slightly spoilery context because I literally have no idea how else to talk about it. Um, I was like, we either talk about it here, episode nine, or in season two. Let's, okay, here's my official warning. Don't listen to the next 
Yeah, you know. We'll put we'll put a note in the episode notes where the spoiler is. Yeah, I was I thought you were gonna say we were gonna record a note. I'm like I'm not recording a note, but we will, <laughs> we'll put a we'll put a note. But don't listen at this moment. Um, Just you know, pause. And if you don't want to read the notes, maybe wait like ten minutes. I would say less. Or you know, grow, you know, grow up. Stop being <laughs> check the notes. I'm not even going to refer to it as as an explicit in explicit spoiler terms, but this bird, like I need to understand. This is how. Okay, now I'm. I feel like I'm about to talk about all the spoilers. So let me like limit myself. But this bird feels like um, similar to a thing that appears in season three and goes through season four, and that we had conflicting uh, idea, not conflicting, confused ideas about. And this is how I kind of feel about the bird because the bird is out of time um and so i am trying to understand like what does it mean that he saw it that miller saw the bird in this context what does it mean that miller saw the bird um back in episode uh five with the little girl oh the pilot sorry the pilot where he he saw the bird with the little girl like what what does the bird mean basically like we know like where it like, trying to we know the where the bird comes from what does it represent and why is it here yeah in these particular scenes mm-hmm. um he sees the bird when he is in julie's apartment right oh yeah that's true and how how spoilery do we want to get for this uh are we going just like full tilt i i'm i will i because i don't know how to talk around it <laughs> We have to decide now or cut this section out entirely. <laughs> um, let's you keep keep going, and I'll just I'll just, mm-hmm. j- but just say it lightly or slowly, and I'll I'll cut we off when you when I need to. We see the bird in situations where Miller and Julie are both extremely relevant again. Mm-hmm. So, from what we learn later, the bird is representing their connection okay so like for me in those moments is it a sign of like miller at his lowest and kind of the the sign that he kind of needs to keep going that he needs to keep pursuing her because i yes okay i agree with that definitely (laughs) okay i shouldn't have said it like that i should have i like now i'm like i don't know if that's the right one that's just a claim that i have um i will say and maybe well this part i'll save for when it gets resolved but i will say learning of the significance of this bird was very confusing to me even like now i'm still kind of like what the hell is it but you know i (laughs) (laughs) you know it is what it is it's here we know it means something it's cool what it represents i wish the show had done more of that style of storytelling um i already said it's out of time right yeah so you know i i I wish the story the show would engage in non-linear storytelling because then it would literally cement it as my favorite piece of media of all time um as it is right now it's just one of my favorite shows of all time so oh, well. I'm sure they're really hurting over <laughs> <that>. <laughs> I'm sure they're listening but, to this like, damn, we gotta do better. 
this whole time that's all we needed but you know like Nina and to a lesser extent me hear the words time travel and it's just like we're gonna gonna kick the door open I guess what we can say is the show does not do time travel I would like the show to engage in Mm. time travel um and when the show does engage in time travel through us willing it I promise I will cry I I think I've said this to you like if the yes, show ever, I think we can, I <laughs> more think, than once. It's not a spoiler because this is just like a here's what to expect from the show. The show does not deal with time travel as other sci-fi shows might. So that's like a fair thing to say. However, yet yeah, we haven't read the end of the book series yet. There is still time. If yeah, you're listening please. to this, we know that you just released the name of the final book. There's still time for you to make an edit <laughs> and just insert just a little time travel. By the way, cool way of, of calling the last book a, a full circle from the first book, Leviathan Falls. Um, but the point is, if this show, and you know, they might deviate from the books if the books don't have time travel. But I, and I say this like, I will, I'm at the point where I might record it just to prove it. If the show ever, like, time travels i will literally start crying like uncontrollably i i cannot i believe it. you i, I believe i have like i there is there's or i will literally be so beside myself i'll just throw my screen wherever i'm watching it across the room and i have done this before in a similar situation not time travel related but where a show just overwhelmed me so point so much because it did something that like i was catching on to as it happened and I just panicked. I was like, no fucking way. So that's how I feel about The Expanse. So maybe this is a, a, a call for help, a cry for help. <laughs> if you, I will single-handedly increase viewership by a million percent if you add in time travel to this show. Amazon, she's willing to sign a contract. I'm literally. That says that. I, I, I don't know how much more serious I can be about this. <laughs> but that's, you know, our spoiler space. And that's it. Was that, I, I think that was like less than 10 minutes. Yeah, it was. We're fine. Um, and we um, were, that was a pretty spoiler-free discussion, I would say. You know, as things go, as throughout this entire recording from episode one, I feel like we, every episode, we're like, but that's a matter to discuss in season three and four. <laughs> so if at this point, you know, you haven't gotten used to it. Yeah. We said we were going to try that too, but we However, lied. since we're on the topic, I would just like to say, <laughs> I did not realize season two gets so much crap. And now I'm moving on from defending season one. And I really am going to defend season two with my whole body. I mean, as long as it doesn't come down to defending Holden in season two, I feel like we're not going to bite Oh, Holden Because is me and Holden are not friends in Holden season is two. even a part of my defense in season two. He is in the back of my mind. <laughs> I am, I just, I can't even, any word I say is a spoiler. So I cannot begin to let you fathom the depths to which season two must be defended for its quality, but it must happen. Well, that's Nina. I just want to make it clear that season three is my favorite. So. 
Did you have any more thoughts about Series Station? I did not. Well, actually, I had one thought, but you oh, know. Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> I thought his goodbye with Octavia was nice enough, and I think that the scene, my reaction to the scene would have been stronger if I felt stronger about their relationship. Oh my god, I actually had thoughts about that scene too. Um not the same thoughts, a little more shallow thoughts. She is, they are so washed out in this episode. I was watching the scenes on Earth, the scene, because on Earth, uh, you have Avasarala and, um, uh, what's our favorite general's name? Uh, Southern. Uh, I was about to call him Norther. <laughs> Admiral Southern. And then you have this scene between Miller and octavia i'm like because her her name in real life is athena so i'm like fully willing to confuse the names um because they're both like of the same um like or both would basically fit her is my point um but yes octavia must um they are so washed out in this episode i like it felt like it was even more than previous episodes and that is something i'll actually criticize the show on because you got to learn how to light people with with skin darker than a peach (laughs) like well i mean to be fair eventually they do they do they really uh deliver um but it's sometimes it's painful like i just can't ignore it it really is i was just i was just watching because i i because i was watching on um the only legal streaming service there is obviously Amazon Prime, and they have the x-ray thing, and they showed a picture of the actress, Athena, I, I forgot her last name, I think it's just the K, and I was like... Is she Greek? She, uh, I think That's so. That's besides the point. I, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, she is gorgeous! And she's, like, glowing in her headshot. Like, why can't we see... I was just, I was so heated for, like, no, for this, like, three-second scene. <laughs> um, but I... I think she's got a role in something else. I was, I was, I was snooping on her, her filmography. Oh yeah, they really did my girl dirty. Damn, Marga. Who's Marga? I said my girl. Oh, like I was like, what is she? I'm like, what? what okay, I will. I promise to enunciate. I was like, that silence sounds like we're like staring at each other. To be fair, I was, I was just like, what? what I was staring too, like, what? <laughs> yes, they did her dirty. Uh, so here's a, uh, if this was airing live, I would say, please light your characters more fully. But since they have learned, thank you for learning to light your characters more fully. I appreciate it. Sincerely, somebody who would look absolutely terrible in that environment. Ooh, good point. Um, um, that's my last Yeah, thought. that's, I think we've wrapped up our thoughts for that. Um, just for a quick book note, I've, I only do the book comparison when I feel like it's relevant to what we're talking about or if I feel like we have time. <laughs> but I do want to have this quote here. Um, from Miller sometime after he gets fired and he's preparing to leave Sirius. Mm-hmm. In the book, we know that he continues to hallucinate Julie um, once he starts working on her case and it gets worse and worse. Here, the quote goes, 
His imaginary Julie laughed or was touched. She thought he was a sad, pathetic little man, since just tracking her down was the nearest to a purpose in life he could find. Mm -hmm. She dressed him down as being a tool of her parents. She wept and put her arms around him. She sat with him in some almost unimaginable, unimaginable observation lounge and watched the stars. So I think that's relevant not only to this episode, but last episode. Mm -hmm. Where we were kind of concerned about what Julie would think of Miller. And this kind of confirms for us, at least in the book, that he has a level of understanding where he believes that at least some part of her would really dislike him. Oh, And that's, you know, sad but true. But the way... (laughs) What was most important to me in this section was tracking her down, being the nearest to a purpose in life he could find. That's like the one thing that's keeping him from being officially at rock bottom because he still feels like he has something to do. And, And again, this is why I like how the books do it because they're very explicit about who Julie is to Miller. Um, they really like, like, yes, Miller is in love with her, but that doesn't mean that's um, something to root for, right. I guess. Um, and I like that the books play it that way. Um, do we want to move on to our little things or quotes section? Small moments? <laughs> Small moments or quotes, as if I did. Those were not part of the discussion already. I'm, I do I have, have a few. Okay, okay. Um, I, I thought the moment, there's a moment when Holden is talking to the spy, but he's also keeps switching back to talking to the crew. Mm -hmm. And at some point, I spy keeps talking and Holden goes, shut up in the most aggressive way possible. And then like calmly turns back to the crew and continues (laughs) their discussion. And I don't know if it was meant to be funny, but it amused me. Holden has like a very particular demeanor when he's like being mean to people, (laughs) which is that he it's hard for him to be mean to people. So he he sounds more like a like a kid who's just Wait. like just knock it off. You know, he just starts yelling. Yeah. <laughs> On to the next. I did like the quote. I'm just like some bad virus you can't shake. Oh, that's definitely like important, you know, put a pin in it. But oh, I was baby, thinking, you better believe like, it. I was just gonna say that's like definitely like on a t-shirt somewhere like on some Etsy thing the jungle tears itself down and builds itself into something new I think that that's honestly probably one of our most important lines not in like the top five or anything but very relevant to this world Mm -hmm. um when Avasarala talks to Elise mother Elise she can't call her Elise. I can't just call her Elise. But at some Avasarala has this habit of kind of like mimicking people to a certain extent to make them more comfortable with her. And I think that that's really visible here because she we've never seen her call Holden by his first name. At mo, it's either Holden or James Holden. When she's talking to Mother Elise, she starts mimicking her calling him Jimmy Mm. which you know just something to notice but notice that's about it do we want to go on to score tracking 
let's uh it'll be pretty short but um there's two things i caught no tracks but something interesting i noticed so the first is the bird scene with miller and the bird um the the four note arpeggio that i have been referencing all season comes back which i have i think unofficially termed as the sound of the mystery um again if you want to if you like want to find a reference to it you can listen to signal um which has it i am sure there are more that i am not thinking about you can listen to let's see let's see let's see uh actually you talking about the four note arpeggio it reminds me of like when you are in school and the teacher keeps emphasizing this like specific phrase because it's going to be on the exam well it is so it's so oh so it plays in signal it also plays in remember the cant uh it also plays in oh sorry not signal i think i mean hostage or maybe hostage as well uh and that's it so I guess just know that because it will be on the exam. The other thing that I also tracked was that, so I said that in episode six, A Lifetime of Losing plays, uh, and it plays at the end of the episode when uh, the crew is like, I don't know, on the ship, you know, doing what they do. Um, And in this episode, Miller says, uh, A Lifetime of Losing. And A Lifetime of Losing the Track plays in episode six at the end. And I was saying in the previous episode, I don't understand why it's playing because it doesn't really feel like anybody's losing and nobody makes a reference to it. But this is the episode that Miller says it. And so I I almost get the sense that like wires were crossed and that like either the track was meant for Miller or the track title was not originally supposed to be that. But the, the track itself doesn't play, so it doesn't matter. And that's all i have about the score (laughs) then on to you know our what's happened so far oh (laughs) i'm like do we want to take a vacation you guys nothing really happened here everything that happened last episode happened and then there's a spy as we go to a rock near Eros. And the spy is the UN spy, I guess we should say. Mm-hmm. But the, I'm like, because I like, I'm reading it. I'm like, this just gets bigger and bigger. We know what's happened. The point is. What's happened since last episode. What has happened since last episode is that both Miller and Team Rocinante are headed to Eros. Miller is going to Eros because he's looking for Julie. And the Rocinante is headed to Eros because they're looking for Lionel Polanski, which is the last known survivor off of the Scopuli, according to Fred Johnson. So you can connect the dots and kind of make the connection that maybe it sounds like Julie Mao is Lionel Polanski. And this or she's working with him. Let's keep the mystery alive. Well, yeah. <laughs> He's not, but sure. <laughs> Say that. And that's what you missed. I am not going into everything else. We know Phoebe Station, Bioweapon, Scopuli, Anubis. Anubis was going to Eros with the Bioweapon. They got intercepted by the Scopuli. They got attacked by the Anubis. They got taken hostage. Actually, they got taken hostage on the Anubis, and I think I've said for a while that they got taken hostage on the Scopuli, but that's not true. The Scopuli was abandoned and given the... Oh, you know what? That's kind of... That 
Hold on. I think I just got I some like there's a realization dawning on her <laughs> face right now. I think I just had a plot hole. Okay, so the the crew finds the uh the the distress beacon planted on the right. scapulae, right? Right. And Julie in the beginning of the show sends her message and she's like, please help me. Right. Um, and I had said they're held hostage on the scapulae because when Mil- uh, Miller, when Holden plays Ju- uh, the message, the distress call, he hears Julie's message. So I was like, oh, they must be on the scapulae. But that's not true. They got held hostage on the Anubis. And this is confirmed in the next episode because they go into, well, this is a bit of a spoiler, but we are literally, you know, suck it up. They are, they go to the, the Anubis in the next episode and they film it in a way that they, they uh, retrace Julie's footsteps. And there's, there's a scene where they come across the locker that she was locked in and that she must have broken out of, which implies that Julie recorded the message on the Anubis. So how could she have recorded the message on the Anubis if Holden heard it with the distress beacon coming from the scopuli? Which means he shouldn't have heard that, number one. But number two, Julie's message came from the Anubis. The distress beacon came from the scopuli. So they were two different messages. They didn't happen to be on the same ship. They were two totally different messages. That's a plot hole. I mean, I don't care, but well, I'm, damn. I'm mad that I felt like I was wrong. And now I know that I was simply misled. Is it a plot hole? Or like, did we hear the distress speaking from the, that was originally a trap, which was meant to attract the can, which it did um, because they were always going to explode a ship. The, and then we heard, and that, but Holden um, discovered Julie's call. I don't know. The only thing because there was always supposed to be a trap, right? Right, but the the call was more of just like here is like a mm-hmm. call. By call, they mean like like a beeping, basically. Right. No, not like an actual call. And so the only explanation I can come up with is that Julie, at the same time, was giving this, and then maybe it got caught. I'm like making shit up now. I. Mm-hmm. I just, I, and like, now that I've caught this, I'm like, this has to be wrong. And so I refuse to believe, like, there's an explanation for it. I just firmly am like, I don't know. Anyway. And I accept that because it means that this episode is what? Over. (laughs) (laughs) So that's it for now. We will see you in episode eight titled Salvage. uh, And... I don't know, Kat, you usually end this, so maybe you have something to say. I mean, yeah, no, we'll see y'all next time. Um, bye. Love y'all. See ya!